Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Cynthia Chaplin, and this is Voices. Every Wednesday, I will be sharing conversations with international wine industry professionals, discussing issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion through their personal experiences working in the field of wine. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you get your pods. Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening. This evening, I've got Rob Miller with me coming from Canada to talk to us. Rob is an Italian wine ambassador, as well as uh, someone who's been in the wine industry for quite a while in Canada and has recently started a new importing company called The Road Wine, which is his pandemic baby, and doing some very interesting things with the portfolio that he is curating. So, Rob, thanks for joining us tonight. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's great to chat with you. Great pleasure. Great pleasure. So I know that your background is Canada, Canada, total Canada. I know you've uh, grown up in Ontario and you have chosen to remain there. So let's hear a little bit, please, about what you're doing in terms of importing wine and how you actually got into the wine business. I'm, I'm curious. So I've, uh, I've worked in and around restaurants most of my life dating back. In fact, my, my first restaurant job as a, uh, a bus person back in the, back in the late eighties at the bar. Spent a lot of time in the, in the nineties while I was in school and then out of school working in restaurants but not at uh, you know not not any that had a great wine program i've had a number of friends that worked in fine dining or finer dining anyways and when we would meet you know after work to have some drinks you know they'd bring these great wines and i'd have my smirnoff ice and you know <laughs> yeah it just uh, it, I, I figured you know if i'm going to stay in this industry if this is something i'm i'm actually serious about i'm gonna have to take a wine course and maybe learn a little bit more or even just to hang out with my friends till I was going to have to learn a little bit more. So, you know, I took a, I took a class at a, a local college in Toronto. That was back in 1999. And, uh, you know, as they say, the, the rest is history. I was uh, lucky. I worked with the LCBO, the product consultant. LCBO is a, uh, the monopoly, the retail monopoly arm of uh, the Ontario government, which handles uh, importing all beverage alcohol here into Ontario. So, uh, it was a great role. You know, I was uh, on a number of tasting panels, was able, you know, on, a, on an average month, I would taste between three and 500 wines. So it was very instrumental and uh, a very young uh, part of my career in order to taste wines uh, and be exposed to wines. Well, it's a fantastic thing to have happen at that stage in your life, to have that opportunity. What were you doing for, for the Monopoly board? So I worked uh, on the retail floor. I was a, a product consultant. So I ran, a, a worked in a number of different kind of subsets of the actual retail operation, uh, mainly dealing with clients face to face. You know, assisting them with uh, with some of the new vintages releases, uh, assisting them with with party preparation. At the time, we also used to have classrooms uh, in a number of the stores. So. I would uh, I would teach teach wine classes, teach spirits and beer classes as well. I was also lucky to be on a number of tasting panels. So uh, the principal one was the VQA, so the Vintners Quality Alliance tasting panel, uh, where wines would be submitted for approval or to be denoted the VQA here in Ontario. So that was uh, you know to, again almost 20 years ago, and Ontario wines weren't quite 
what they are now. It was a great way to learn what faults were. <laughs> I guess there's a significant amount of wines that came through the uh, to be graded. That uh... well, I remember that period really well because I was um, still in New York and Boston in late '80s until the early '90s, and Ontario wine, in my experience, was ice wine and nothing else. <laughs> I think it's moved on since then. It, it definitely has. In fact, I'd be I'd be happy to pour Ontario wines for for anyone. We definitely have uh, our own style. It's a it's a it's a cool climate. Uh, even at the best of times, you know, it's uh, we're talking on a on a very cold winter afternoon here, but uh, we are making some some fantastic wines. Like any any region around the world, it takes the time to focus on what the correct varieties are. You need to plant it, what makes sense, uh, and finally finding the best sites. So uh, I'm I'm happy to pour Ontario wines. Much happier than I was a couple of decades. I can believe it. What What are the primary red and white varietals that are doing well, producing quality wine in Ontario now? Well, there's, I mean, there's a lot of experimentation, which is which is great. But you know, they refer to kind of the core four for whites being Riesling and Chardonnay, which really seem to excel. And for reds, Cabernet Franc definitely. In fact, uh, you know, I'd, uh, I'll go out on a limb and say uh, Ontario Cabernet Franc is as good, if not better, than, than anywhere else world we get to we get a real mid palette with our cab front that seems to be lacking in, in other regions when they produce it so i'm uh you know i think it's it's a great that we just uh, we can really hang our hat on you've got that lovely cold evening so i'm sure you're getting acidity that we're not getting even in france places that are are hotter now climate change is your friend it is for sure you know the the, the evolution of the industry we're we're starting to see producers really pull back from uh, excessive oak usage, uh, which you know tends to be uh, you know something you, you grow through as a uh, as a new wine region. So uh, really seeing some uh, some stylistic differences, and wines are just uh, you know truthfully they they really just excel. Now, we're also making some great Pinot Noir, and we're we're making some fantastic Gamay. There's just uh, unfortunately not enough of it in the ground right now, but. That's definitely a, a great variety to watch here in Ontario. Up and coming. I'm excited. So you moved on from that position and you arrived at the Vine in Cave Spring. How did that come about? Yeah, I went, I went back to work in restaurants for a few years. And, you know, like many in the restaurant industry, you know, it's, uh, you know I was missing out on holidays. I was working a lot of nights. A lot of weekends. Uh, and I you know, was trying to figure out what the next step was. In terms of you know being involved in the beverage industry, but uh, you know maybe uh, maybe working somewhat of a a more Monday to Friday role, I'll, I'll qualify that remark with uh, the fact that sales is not a Monday to Friday nine to five role, but uh, you know it's a there's a little bit more of a work life balance, which is great. So nothing in the wine sector is nine to five for sure, absolutely not. We're all looking for that balance, and it's very difficult to find for sure it is and you know it it is something that uh you know i've been with the vine for uh just over 10 years now uh it's a fantastic company really wide you know a, a good portfolio for for where we're located you know we have a, a strong focus on italian wines uh, a lot of california producers french producers a handful in other regions around the Let's let's back up for a second and and talk about the vine. So for our listeners who don't know, give me a, a little brief background snapshot of the vine. Yeah, the vine is a so the vine agency is the 
an import company that was started just over 20 years ago, 22 years ago, I think it's exact, uh, by Rob Grow uh, and his partner named Jasper. Started small. We work currently with about about 70 wineries or so from around the world. Uh, again, you know, France, uh, Italy, and California make up the majority of those uh, producers. It's predominantly uh, filled with smaller producers, family-owned producers, uh, producers that are you know uh, looking to you know they have wine to export and to sell, but they're you know they're not in the million-plus case closed mark, so to speak. No, and and of course those those kinds of producers are the ones who have. Um real storytelling to do and and real um image building to do so that's that's something i know vine has focused on getting those stories out there that i think are so important to our consumers i do too and you know it's a you and, you and i chatted before you know i think it's it's great to to have the technical knowledge but you know for me i know you know when i'm opening a bottle of wine it's uh, it's more than just a refreshing alcoholic beverage i mean sometimes that's all but you know, it's it also it gives you that chance, you know, that story that takes you. Maybe it takes you to the Veneto. Maybe it takes you to Umbria. Uh, maybe it takes you uh, somewhere that you haven't traveled to before. You know, I I always, especially if it's a newer wine that I'm not familiar with, at least for the first few uh, first few sips, try and do a little bit of background reading, perhaps the family or the producer or, or where it's from, and, and learn a little bit about it because that to me is what makes wine fun and exciting and of course you know in the past two years with the pandemic we've had to travel through what we have in our glass I mean, i've i've spent more time on zoom i'd never even heard of zoom before 2020 i've been teaching and and i'm sure you have been over zoom but that has become my way to travel what i've got in my glass and what i'm talking to people about um has kind of been my substitute for travel so I think we're really lucky in wine to have that opportunity to not be completely cut off. It's not the same as standing in a vineyard in the middle of, you know, Spain or France or somewhere else, but at least we can taste and smell and, as you said, do the background work. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think, yeah, uh, I, I know at least here in Ontario, we've been very, uh, very lucky, very blessed. There's been a, a number of great online tasting wineries or importers or trade bodies that have put together, you know, made, made the world a little bit smaller in some ways uh, and allowed us that opportunity to connect with others. As before, you know, it's, uh, you know, you, you had to hop on a plane and, uh, and get overseas, but uh, we, we've been very lucky to have those opportunities available. So tell me about the, the collaboration with Cave Spring. Uh, again, our listeners are probably not all that aware of Cave Spring and how they came to be um, part of the vine. Yeah, so Cave Spring has been uh, our Ontario partner since pretty much the beginning. Uh, you know, we work with one other very small Ontario producer called 2027 Sellers as well, but Cave Spring has has always been kind of the the main partner. In fact, Rob and Ann retired, uh, finally officially retired last year, and Cave Spring has purchased the company, uh, which I think was always, from uh, my understanding, was always kind of the, the end game. But still, two distinct organizations. While there's some a little bit overlap, and Cave Spring, for those that don't know, is a, one of the pioneers here in Ontario planting some of the first first vinifera here in the province uh, way back in the, the early 1970s. And what varietals are they growing? I mean, we, when we think of Canada, 
wine is not one of the first things that springs to mind, although it, although it will become that way, I think, in the next decade or so. So this is, we're still kind of cutting edge on getting this out into the consciousness of, of wine enthusiasts and wine lovers about the wine sector that's happening and growing in Canada right now. So what are, what is Cape Spring doing? What are they growing? Oh, Cape really, I mean, their, their principal focus is on Riesling. Uh, it's a great variety that uh, over excels here in Ontario. Theirs tend to be on the drier side of the spectrum. They make nine different Rieslings in total. So uh, that includes a sparkling wine uh, all the way up to a late harvest and, and, and a nice wine, of course. But Riesling is, you know, the main grape. It's, uh, it's, it's a grape that not only shows, uh, you know, unique and individual terroir, uh, depending on where it's planted here in Ontario. And even, you know, there's very, very different styles and what you see on the Beamsville bench as an example, versus what perhaps you might see in uh, Niagara on the lake here. So that is, that's the main, uh, the main grape. Uh, we also focus on Cabernet Franc, Pinot Noir, and Chardonnay. Those would be kind of the four main ones. We have a little bit of Gewürztraminer in the ground, the love it or, or hate it grape. So it's definitely not for everyone, but I really like what they're doing with it. Well, this is this is going to just kill the joy of everybody who's studying studying WSET around the world. Of now, we have to add, you know, Gewurztraminer and Riesling from Ontario to uh, to the studies. But this is this is again, as I said, very much um, climate change based and very cool things that are happening in a country that isn't known for wine production and to have quality coming from these vineyards is so important. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, you're starting to see some, some interest, you know, other places in, uh, in Canada that are starting to make some really great wine. So uh, Nova Scotia is an example. Uh, there's some great producers out there working with a lot of hybrids mainly, but doing some, uh, some cool stuff, even Quebec, which is uh, colder than us here in Southwestern Ontario is making pretty cool, fun stuff now too. So it's definitely an exciting time in Canada, whether they'll ever be on a, a WSET exam or, or quartermaster SOM exam. I don't know. I mean, the, the challenge with those, uh, with those exams is getting enough out into the export markets. We're still pretty tiny in comparison. Absolutely. And and you've just handed me the perfect opening to really cut to the chase. What I really want to talk to you about is your pandemic baby, the the road wine, your new import business that you started during the global pandemic, which is incredibly brave, particularly in Canada, where the rules and regulations um, are pretty strict and pretty difficult to navigate. So Let's hear about the road wine. I'm really excited about this. I'm glad uh, you're enthusiastic. Yeah, it's um, you know there's there have been a couple of positive takes on the wine industry side here in Ontario since the pandemic that our our government has made some uh, some changes. But first and foremost, so for those that aren't familiar with Ontario, it's a, it's a government monopoly. Even wine agencies that uh, that work with producers around the world, it's actually the LCBO that uh, that brings those wines in. We just act as the agent for distribution. So, you know, as an example, uh, you know, uh, the vine works with a with a winery called Prague, uh in the Veneto, fantastic producer, but the PO would be cut by the LCBO. And we have a limited amount of warehouse space. Now, that's the been one of the biggest challenges for for agencies, particularly new agencies, is that it ta- 
before would take quite some time before you could actually get warehouse space. It was a long waiting list. The government uh, made warehouse space available for new agencies last year, uh, which just started for us in November. So that was a, that was kind of an impetus for us. Uh, my business partner and I, Megan Ridgeway, have talked about you know, importing our own wines for a number of years. So we, had, we saw this opportunity and started to do the legwork. It's uh, it's been a slow uphill climb, as you could uh, you could expect dealing with uh, dealing with the government at every turn and angle. But we you know we we had uh, two kind of mandates that we were looking at uh, in terms of wineries we wanted to bring in. First and foremost was producers that are very eco-conscious farming, uh, you know, not just uh, farming organically certified, but uh, that are really doing the right things for the planet. We all know organics, uh, you know, it's, it's not a black and white situation. There's there's good ways to farm organically. There's there's terrible ways to farm organically. So let's talk about that for a second, Rob. I mean, it, this is this is a real um, kind of hot button issue in the wine sector right now. It, it is. I mean, you know, we all know that it is. And, you know, people bandy about terms like organic, biodynamic, um, eco-conscious. So how are you selecting the wineries for the road? When you talk about your eco-conscious focus, what are your parameters? Because this is an important thing and, and a very cool way to select a wine list. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, the at least here in Ontario, for God, probably a better part of uh, the last decade, natural wines have really started to take hold. You're seeing that being a very prevalent part of a lot of importers' wine lists. You know, for us, you know, what we think is important, you know, in terms of organics, uh, you know, if you're still spraying copper on your vines, you're still spraying a heavy, um, you know, that's, I don't see how that's, that's sustainable. You know, there's definitely different uh, approaches you can take. You know, if you're running your tractors to the vineyards double the amount of time, you're still burning fossil fuels. So there's, you know, I think biodynamics at least moves that a little bit more forward. And we're very lucky. We work with a number of uh, producers that are, are using regenerative farming as their their main principle. What is regenerative farming? Let's define that for everybody who's listening, because you and I know, but that's not fair to everybody else. No, there's a, uh, you know, there's, if you, if you have access to Netflix, there's a great documentary. Anyway, it's hosted by everybody's favorite hippie, Woody Harrelson. And it talks, <laughs> it's, I, I, I think I've watched this three times now. I just, uh, one, I'm a big fan of his, but it's also, it's pretty inspiring. You know, uh, climate change is, you know, I know what we're seeing here in Canada uh, in terms of weather, et cetera, it's happening faster. So regenerative farming is a, you know, there's a number of different tenants to it. But it's to, to really distill it, it's farming the soil as opposed to farming the, the crops. So by having good soil health, you know, in, in effect, you're going to have uh, you're going to have better grapes to produce your wines. With. You're going to be the most beloved person of Professor Attilio Scienza. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's uh, I, I first came across it. You know, it's a, it was a podcast with Mimi Castile a few years back. And that was the first time I'd heard that term used in uh, in after, you know in in any connection to wine. So I've uh, I've really started to kind of investigate. And a lot of uh, you know it's, it seems like it was the on the tip of everyone's tongue last year uh, in wine. And you know you see more and more uh, talk and chatter about this. I know um, Jackson Family Wines in the, 
in the U.S. is looking to have all of their vineyards regeneratively farmed by 2030. So absolutely, Katie Jackson is is really pushing that forward. Mm-hmm. Their you know their online video series that they did in the fall was was spectacular. It's uh, uh, I don't remember the the name of it, but fantastic videos uh, moderated by uh, Elaine Shuckham Brown. So that was you know that was kind of the you know one of the main focuses for us to be able to bring in some producers. You know, Alice Anderson's uh, Omvi production down in Santa Barbara, Gina uh, at Lady of the Sunshine, also in, in and around that area, is also working uh, with regenerative farming. Ergolay Brothers, mostly it's mostly California producers right now. Other other areas around the world that were we're bringing wines in from, uh, we're also having those conversations. So that was the, that was kind of the, the first lens. The other was we were really looking to, to bring a little bit more diversity, equity, and inclusion into our industry. I mean, if you, you know, if you were to attend a, a trade tasting in Ontario, you know, it's, a, it's a lot of people that look like me, old white guys. Uh, that's, that's still an overwhelming, uh, still an overwhelming majority. So it's, uh, you know, we thought, well, what, what can we do to, you know, I mean, how, how can we start to make a difference? BIPOC uh, owned wineries or producers, that was kind of a, you know, that was a big step for us. We're, we're also, you know, if, uh, if you looked at our portfolio, the overwhelming majority are, are female owned businesses, female uh, winemakers. It's absolutely huge. I live in Italy, as you know, very, very male uh, dominated wine industry. So, and I have four daughters. So, seeing a man who is putting forward the fact that female-owned wineries, uh, it as an important part of his portfolio, is something that I really get behind. And I know you're doing that, and I know you're also taking a look at marginalized communities, LGBTQ communities in the wine industry as well. Correct. Uh, you know, we've got uh, one for sure. Uh, another one that we're just in, in talks with, it's, I'd say it's 95%. For us, it's it's not just about, uh, you know, having these these fantastic producers. I mean, the, the wine always has to be great quality too, but it's also about the conversations that we're having with with our restaurant or with our retail clients, uh, and about why these are important, and why uh, you know uh, why we need to to look outside of the you know very Eurocentric wine industry that uh, you know we we all grew up with and were exposed to. So, what's the percentage on your list at the moment between USA, Canada, and European wines? Because it's pretty hard to stick to this ethos. Uh, which I celebrate and applaud of female owned, LGBTQ owned, and also um, regenerative biodynamic wineries. It's tough to stick to that and keep a wine list that's balanced. How How is your country balance globally on the list that you're importing at the moment? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. So going back again, we're, we're limited with space with how much we can bring in by the LCBO. We there's a biannual review that's uh, based on the amount of cases that we've sold over a six to twelve month period, uh, which will give us a chance to move up in tiers. But uh, we're currently working with sixteen producers. Uh, there's plans to bring another, hopefully three or four, on board uh, over the course of 2022. But depending on how things happen in Ontario, particularly you know right now restaurants are closed again due to COVID, so. We have, a, we have the best laid plans, but we'll, we'll, <laughs> it's, it's hard to predict a, a month out right now. 
Um, I would say, to do, do, just taking a look at the list quickly, probably 60% are female-owned, uh, maybe even 70% uh, are, are female-owned businesses. The Right now, the overwhelming majority are California producers. And are, are you e-commerce focused at the moment because of pandemic? I mean, all of us have had to pivot to being much more e-smart as I look at it. So how are you how are you aiming the business at the moment? Yeah, so our, our first wines just landed here in Ontario were available for sale two weeks ago. I'm just going to point out that you only started this in the spring. So it's been, what, nine months, eight months? Barely, yeah, barely. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it hasn't been that long, you know. And this is hugely brave to do in Canada in the middle of a global pandemic. So I, I am so impressed by the fact that you had the nous to do this and that you are insisting on an ethically stringent way of, of looking at your wine list. It's impressive. Um, thank you. And it's, you know, it's just, it's something that, you know, we know we're gonna. We know we're gonna make mistakes. We know we're gonna trip up, uh, and and we're okay with that. But you know, for us, it's important that we're having conversations, uh, and at least starting a conversation. You know, people may not be interested in in a particular wine or winery that we're bringing in, uh, but at least if we can talk to them about our philosophy uh, and why we're making these decisions. And frankly, you know, for from everyone uh, that we've we've chatted with so far. Uh, the support is out there. It does seem like the industry is ready to move in this direction, and hopefully, we can we can inch it along a little. Absolutely, I, and I think it's our uh, responsibility to do that as well. You know, we're we're growing we're growing an organic crop. We're we're making a product that is thousands of years old, and we need to make sure that in terms of today's reality, we're respecting what we do. So, I love that you're doing that. I want to ask you, who is your main client at the moment are you restaurant based are you private clients are you you know just mr or mrs smith who find you online who are you selling to right now well it'll it'll be predominantly restaurants uh, but we do have a, a private retail uh, business as well and one of the the challenges here in ontario is that for uh, you know the the average consumer to purchase from us, they have to buy it uh, in the case that it was bought into uh, into Ontario. And so if that's something we're bringing in a twelve pack or a six pack, they have to purchase a whole case. We can't sell individual bottles, which is just it's it's a government rule. It's it's probably not going to go away at any point. So you're an educator, Rob. How are you educating these people to to come and and seek out your wine? Because I I love the the list that you're curating right now, and I love this philosophy behind it. So I want to hear where you're going with your education for your clients, both restaurants and and private clients. Yeah, and you know one of the uh, you know I think I mentioned there's been a couple of positive moves by our government. One of the first things, and you know this might sound. Uh, you know, strange to those in other parts of the of the planet, uh, with perhaps a little bit more progressive wine industries. But up until recently, a restaurant wasn't able to sell you a bottle of wine to take home. So the government has allowed restaurants, they said, and this started back about the spring, early summer last year, to create their own bottle shops. So it's given us an opportunity to to work with some restaurants, smaller restaurants, have our stock available. 
the markup isn't as high as as purchasing as a, uh, as you would if you were used to eat in and dine. So it's given us an opportunity to do some pretty cool things. There's also been a significant amount of wine clubs, online wine clubs created in the last uh, you know, 12 to 24 months, let's say. Uh, so there's there are some unique opportunities for us to be able to get, uh, you know, whether it's mixed case or the like, out to our clients. So it's a uh, you know it's, it takes it's going to take a lot of uh, a lot of talking a lot of explaining the system to to people. One of you know uh, here in Ontario and uh, you know even on the buying side we've seen significant growth in people purchasing that didn't want to go out you know perhaps they were uh, didn't want to go out into public or go out to the retail stores so they've been ordering online so it's it's definitely pushed people in our direction. It's now just a matter of of, of giving them what they want and what they're looking for. Well, I hope this sort of new normal of being able to look online, being able to find something that fits not only your taste preference for wine, but also your philosophy for what kind of wines you want to buy continues in the future because you're doing something that's that's really special and that has come out of um, restrictions and constraints. And I think this is something that's very positive that's come out of something so negative. So I applaud you for that. This is amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the, the world uh, seems to be moving at a fast rate these days. So I think this, uh, you know, it's, uh, we're, we're at the right time, the right space for, for our opportunity to, uh, you know, to be able to get out there and, and to connect and again, you know, to, to have those conversations. We're we're probably you know we're never going to be a large import agency and, and, and I don't see that really at least in the in the immediate future. Never say never, uh, but uh, you know I do hope that uh, you know we're always going to have some great connections with our with our suppliers be able to, to be honest and truthful with their stories here in Ontario. Well, before I let you go, because you are an Italian wine ambassador, as am I, I have to ask you, what is your favorite Italian wine and what Italian wines are you importing? Well, we've got, uh, you know, that's going to be so hard to pick one. I know. It's a terrible, mean question. I apologize. It is, Yeah. Uh, because you know it, it really just depends on, on the day of the week. You know, I I mentioned Pra earlier. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of their uh, their suaves. I think they're they're absolutely fantastic. I love Verdicchio. I drink true. You know, for me, I drink a lot more white than red, uh, just for the fact that it tends to generally have a little bit lower alcohol, so I can have an extra glass or two and still feel sort of productive. Uh, you know, I uh, I absolutely love Verdicchio. We work with a, a small producer called Vichy, and they're just making some dynamite, long-lived wines. Uh, you know, I was uh, one of my last trips to Italy. Uh, I had an opportunity to, to drink a, a 2004 uh, Verdicchio that was literally just, a, it really opened my eyes to how long that grape can go, so... Well, hopefully we'll get you back here in in April for Vinitaly and for other things that are happening with Vinitaly International and Five Star Wine and Opera Wine and all of the things that we do under the Mama Jumbo Shrimp umbrella and our Italian wine podcast. And I will be the first one to turn up with a bottle of Verdicchio, probably from Matelica, just to give you something new. Excellent. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on and being so open about your new venture. I think it's really cool that you have got such a focus 
on regenerative and female-owned and DEI and LGBTQ for a new venture that you started in the pandemic. I applaud you and I hope to see you flourish, Rob. Thank you so much for today. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks for the invite. And yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully April happens. I'm uh, excited to get back on Italian soil sooner than later. So uh, especially on a, on a cold <laughs> Canadian winter uh, winter's afternoon here, uh, some, some fun in the sun would be great. Hope to see you in Verona in the sunshine in April. Thanks, Rob. Ciao. Thanks, Cynthia. Thank you for listening. And remember to tune in next Wednesday when I'll be chatting with another fascinating guest. Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world and the only one with a daily show. Tune in every day and discover all our different shows. You can find us at italianwinepodcast.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, Himalaya, or wherever you get your pods. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to Italian Wine Podcast.